You found your way to the intersection of faith and the culture. This is Wall Builders Live, where we are covering topics that are really at the hotbed of the culture right now. I mean, these are the topics that people are talking about. These are the topics you're seeing on the news. And what we do that's a little different from most folks is that we actually address those topics from a very particular perspective. In other words, the paradigm through which we're looking, the thing that's driving our conversation when it comes to these hot topics of the day, it's a biblical, historical, and constitutional perspective. So on every issue that we address, every guest that we have, every topic that we cover, what we're trying to think through is what's the Bible say about this, so what's the right biblical position, what can history teach us about this, what have we learned, whether it's in the last few decades or in the history of the world, and then what does the Constitution say about it, what's the right way to look at this from a jurisdictional perspective in the American system, in our constitutional republic. We believe, and uh, we think it bears out, that when you take those three perspectives on any issue of the day, you're going to find the right position on those issues, and you're also going to learn how to strategically, purposefully insert yourself into the questions and the discussions of today in a positive manner to have a positive impact in your community, in your state, and in our nation. So we appreciate you joining us for that conversation today. We're going to have that conversation with David Barton. He's America's premier historian and our founder at Wall Builders. Tim Barton's with us, national speaker and pastor and president of Wall Builders. My name is Rick Green. I'm a former Texas legislator. You can be a part of this team by going to wallbuilderslive.com today. Click on that contribute button and make that one-time or monthly contribution. Those dollars go a long way to investing and preserving freedom for the next generation. We greatly appreciate your partnership in that. Check it out today at wallbuilderslive.com. Click on Contribute, and whether it's one time or maybe you want to do a monthly donation, give up you know one nice cup of coffee a month, or whatever you can do, it greatly helps us, and we appreciate you being a part of the team. All right, guys, later in the program, we've got a senator from Alaska that's going to join us because Alaska is one of the places that has embraced this ranked choice voting, and uh, it's a disaster. But before, before we go to the senator... Uh, There's probably a lot of people listening that have no idea what ranked choice voting is, which I didn't know what it was until just a few months ago, uh, and I didn't even realize that Alaska was already full-blown into this thing, Um, and apparently Nevada's considering it. I think some local entities uh, are considering it. So I guess first, guys, what is ranked choice voting versus just voting? Well, let me back up and make a little correction, Rick. Uh, Nevada's already approved it on the ballot. Now, they have to approve it a second time. And Maine oh, has no. it. Uh, there are more than 70 jurisdictions that currently use ranked choice voting. It is something that's not, that, good. that's not good. It's coming only in the last few years. It's a very new innovation. And I use innovation with air quotes around it. Uh, it's a really, really bad idea. Uh, it has not worked well at all. It, it takes away the constitutional principle that the will of George Washington said, um, the fundamental principle of the Constitution is the will of the majority shall prevail. That's not what happens. This breaks the voters down into all sorts of different subsegments, and then it combines various subsegments to come up with some kind of a consensus. So you don't get a clear vote of a majority. You start ranking your votes by saying, okay, if there were five guys running for governor, here's my first choice, here's my second, here's my third, here's my fourth. Well, my first choice didn't make it. He came in fourth. So now we're going to move my number two vote up to the number one. And so you go through these all these convolutions of, of moving your votes around between various individuals. Well, and I would push back slightly. I, it's not 
quite as convoluted as some people might imagine, although it's certainly a broken, messed up system. I have a lot of issues and grievances with it. But right, if, if they're saying there's five people running for governor and and you get to choose who your five are, well, the top two or three vote getters, nobody has enough votes. And so they're going to say, OK, let's the people who clearly are nowhere near this, the fourth and fifth options, let's drop them off. So the people that had the fourth and fifth option as their number one vote, we will now go and see their number two vote, their number three vote, and we will assign, reassign their vote somewhere else. And the only reason I push back is because at the end of the day, the person that wins does win with the majority of the vote. But dad, to your point, it is a convoluted way of getting there. It's not clean. It's not clear. And a lot of people that end up casting this vote, they don't understand how the process works. And as I'm sure we will get to in the interview today, what it it ends up doing is it ends up bringing where there should be more conservative candidates, ends up bringing them much more to the middle and really favoring a lot of the moderate leftists. It's it's not something advantageous for conservatives for lots of reasons. And, And it's back to your point of even the founding fathers, they wanted it to be very clear that a clear majority should win, that this is where the, the whole runoff idea came from for a lot of states is they want to make sure everybody is very clear. Who are we voting for? Right. In a runoff, you have two options. There's no confusion in a runoff who you are voting for. Whereas if you're doing ranked choice voting, there could be a lot of confusion who you're voting for and how the process works. It is not the cleanest. It's not the best. It's not the most effective or efficient way. The argument that, well, but we don't have to go back and vote a second time because the votes are already there. I understand the argument, but dad, back to your point about this is to me where it does get convoluted. It's not quite as confusing as some people might imagine, but it's certainly not the best way to do it. And it's worth spending a little extra money if you have to have a second election to make sure it is very clear who we are voting for and understanding who those candidates are and the different representation you would get it, it would make a major difference as opposed to you're pointing out there's already 70 areas, territories, whatever this is, that are using some kind of ranked choice voting. And I would just argue that probably none of those are being led by any kind of ultra conservative Christian individual. Yeah, Probably in all of those areas, it's going to be very moderate to very extreme left. Yeah, what happens is you actually end up having a uniparty is what it amounts to. Instead of having parties, and there is a good thing about parties. Now, Washington talked about if you love your party more than you love principle, that's a really bad deal. But having parties makes distinctions. We know generally where one candidate is from one party and generally where the other one is on things like abortion or marriage or whatever it is, and there's distinctions for sure. But generally, you know what their governing philosophy is, and they're very different from each other. But if you take Dunleavy, who was the governor of Uh, Alaska, there were four people running for governor in Alaska. So instead of doing primaries, we're going to put everybody on the ballot. We got four people on the ballot. And when you saw the results on election night, 94% of the people voted for a Republican. There were three Republican candidates. There was one Democrat candidate. The Democrat only got 6% of the vote. So what happens is you voted all four candidates. You ranked all four according to choice. So the Democrats would have ranked their, their Democrat is the number one choice, but that's the one who fell off the ballot first. So who would the Democrats choose next for the number two choice? They would choose the most liberal Republican that's on the other three. Their third choice is going to be the next most liberal Republican, and their last choice is going to be the conservative Republican. 
So what happens is they they get knocked out because the Democrat is no longer on the ballot, but we're going to let them vote in all the Republican primaries going forward. So when we do the next tally, just looking at all the three and we rank your vote, now we've asked the Democrats to come in and help choose the Republican candidate for governor. And then when we take out the, the next one, which might have been a conservative one, because now the Democrats are voting for the most liberal Republican, what, what you find is this moves up as you keep the Democrats voting in Republican primaries, and you end up with not a conservative Republican because you've invited the Democrats in to bring their views with them. And so you usually end up moving to the left. You can get Republicans elected, but they're not going to be the conservative Republicans because you're letting the Democrats help choose the Republicans. So you'll find that they they use this more in states, and it's really popular to start up in states that are somewhat red because this can help turn them blue. This can help switch your legislature. This can help switch your governors. This can help switch whatever. And and but it's again, it's letting the Democrats vote in the Republican primaries and choose the Republican candidates, and that's part of why it's a really bad deal. All right, we're going to find out directly from Senator Shelley Hughes. She is a state senator there in Alaska and dealing directly with this. Stay with us, folks. We'll be right back on Wobble. This is Tim Barton from Wall Builders with another moment from American history. After the final victory at Yorktown, the Continental Army awaited the outcome of peace negotiations with Great Britain. Pastor Israel Evans, a chaplain in the Army, proposed to George Washington that they build a structure where church services could be held during the months of waiting. Washington approved the plan and urged his officers to ensure that the soldiers attended service. Pastor Evans further knew if we were to secure the liberties they had fought for, sound education would be crucial. He declared, Every parent and every friend to the freedom of his country ought to be attentive to the improvement of our youth and the principles of freedom and good government. And then the people will stand fast in their liberty for a long time. Our schools today need to return to teaching the principles of freedom and good government in order for America to survive and prosper. For more information about Pastor Israel Evans and other colonial patriots, go to wallbuilders.com. Welcome back to Wall Builders. Thanks for staying with us today. Our special guest today is Alaska State Senator Shelley Hughes. Senator, thank you so much for coming on today. Hey, I'm happy to join you because I think uh, this new subject of ranked choice voting is a big one, and we've got a lot of educating to do. I couldn't agree more. I've had a, a you know several of our Constitution coaches ask me about this, and and uh, you know as I started looking into it and trying to figure out how in the world it works, uh, the more I looked at it, the worse it got, and and the more it seemed like a really bad idea. You're actually living with it in Alaska, so so tell us what, how does it work? Why do they want to do this, and and how do we stop this from spreading across the rest of the country? So a lot to cover. A lot to cover. It, um, the purpose of ranked choice voting, I believe, well, first of all, if you look at who is pushing it and funding, it's it's very much um, um, liberals on the left. Yeah. So that that should be a, a red flag. In it's, it's been targeted in states that lean red, like Alaska has, and what it has done, it has been successful in pushing us significantly to the left in this first election cycle in November. Um, in which it was used. So it worked. Um, it was an initiative that was introduced in our state, and it only won by 1%. The only reason it won, however, is because they included a, they were very smart. <laughs> they included a caveat 
to ban what they call dark money for candidates. In other words, money coming in from outside the state, the actual donors, the top donors had to be listed. It couldn't just come in from an organization. And that is the people that voted yes were voting because, well, dark money, that doesn't sound good. We don't want dark money in our state. And that's actually why it passed. They were voting for transparency and disclosure, not for not for this ranked choice. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so I've, I've heard that's one of their angles and how they get it through. But still, it only passed for one at one percent. And what the feedback that I got then um, this as as we were preparing and trying to educate the state was, oh, wow, I voted for this. I didn't realize what I was voting for. I just didn't want dark money. I wanted transparency. So a lot of regret, voter regret. And um, and what what we've seen is that it disenfranchises voters. Now, the pro side here is bragging that 80 percent of Alaska found it manageable and simple. Well, 80 percent sounds pretty good. But the problem is 20 percent found it difficult. The, the regular system that we've had for decades, no one found it difficult. Why would we want a system that is difficult for 20% of voters and disenfranchises them? I actually had a senior citizen in tears because she was so intimidated by the process and the fact that the voting machine rejected her ballot, and she was so embarrassed that she went back into the voting booth with a new ballot and did not rank. She, she just voted for one. Um, there's so great a chance for error. There is a, a, a great chance that your vote um, will be what they call it being exhausted. So either you made a mistake and it, your ballot gets pitched or you don't vote for anybody that makes it through the process. And so your vote in the end isn't counted either. So um, that's not right. We're, yeah. you know, we're a nation based on one person, one vote. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So so is so, I mean, just start at the beginning. It's just confusion for the voter themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it sounds like there's multiple areas, uh, additional areas for error and, and um, you know, problems to happen rather than just keeping it simple. So you're always going to have problems, right? It's always going to be issues. But the simpler the system is, the less likely that happens. This adds complications. It does. And um Here's a case. This defines pretty uh, clearly what happened. Currently, I am the Senate majority leader of a Republican majority. I'm losing that, and I'm going to be in the minority. That's how that is what this does. It shifted our state Senate significantly to the left in one election cycle. So that should, um, you know, people need to really think about what it does. We're always concerned. We we talk about low information voters and. Low-information voters are not stupid. They are busy. They are busy getting off to work, packing lunches for children, living life, and they have a limited amount of time to sort through. And unfortunately, some do not spend as much time as they should. But now what we're doing is instead of asking them to study up and make a decision on typically two candidates in a general election, now they have to be up on four or five candidates. So uh, I think uh, Nevada's looking at having five on, on the general election. In our state, it was four. So now we have to, we're doubling the amount of work that we're asking voters to study up on. And that's yeah. onerous, that's burdensome. And I'll tell you another little practical thing the sign clutter. Oh my goodness, the sign clutter was just horrific. It was, um, you know, more than double. 
and it, it was it was just crazy this this election cycle. So for those that don't like to see all that, it was it was something. Um, but that one person one vote is goes away. We we saw seniors disenfranchised, minorities, non English speaking disenfranchised, anyone that's new or an infrequent voter. Um, it's intimidating. So we did see voter turnout go down by a couple of percent. No kidding. And that's that's very very typical. At a time where everybody, everywhere else in the country, voter turnout was going up. So, I mean, that's a really strong indication right there that it's it's disenfranchising people on, and then the confusion. And then just the results. I mean, you know, our audience is a is a conservative audience. These are constitution-loving, you know, re- restore the country, restore liberty people, and, and the results speak for themselves. I mean, it, it, it was a disaster for the Alaska Republican Party and conservatives. Is that fair to say? Yes, and you know we actually do know that um, U.S. Senator Lisa Murkowski, she was part of bringing into the state. She knew that winning a Republican primary would be difficult, and so it was a lot of people that had worked in her camp that brought it in, and they didn't hide that fact, and it worked. She was yeah. reelected. You know wh- what was happening is is we saw we saw where um, uh, either very what I would consider left of center. Republicans like like Lisa Murkowski, and we had some of that in some legislative races where um, you, you could see people were choosing Republicans, but then the, the more um, left Republican would cross the finish line when the tabulation occurred. So there'd be an elimination of, of a candidate, and in one case it was a Democrat, and the Democrats then are their second place vote is going to the more leftist center Republican. And that is what happened in the Lisa Murkowski race that happened in one of our state Senate races. And so you might be getting a Republican in those, those instances, but it is someone um, the Democrats were supporting. So um, that's, that's where we saw the, the shift to the left in the state. So uh, states need to be aware um, uh, for our turnout overall numbers. It was the lowest, since 2012, so in 10 years, and like you said, it was going up. Uh, another thing I I want to point out, just as because they are pushing this, of course, Nevada has to uh, have it on their ballot again. So what happens in Alaska becomes very important because we are um, looking now at repealing it, and there's an effort underway. You read my mind. That was my next it, question. How do you turn this thing around? So yes, keep going. Right. <laughs> To put it back on the ballot, you know, and I was reading an article, I believe it was in Epic Times, who does a good job, but it was not lawmakers that put it in. It was it was a citizen's initiative. We got tricked. So now we, we're trying to stand up an initiative to repeal it. However, we know that millions of dollars will flood in from outside. We can call that dark money, right? Yeah. And um, it, to, to try to keep it. So it is going to be incredibly difficult. We are going to need support. We're going to need support nationally because we've been the guinea pig for this. We are what we call a cheap date. We have only 730,000 people in our large geographically large state. So we have a very limited media market. And for a handful, five, six million, the media market can be bought up. So a lot cheaper than other places. However, we have it has tremendous national implications. We send two U.S. senators to uh, Washington, just like California and New York, right, and Illinois. And we also, um, what happens here, if we are able to overturn it and repeal it, 
that's going to be a warning sign to other states that are being uh, uh, courted right now to to bring ranked choice voting forward. So what happens here will impact how Nevada voters yeah. vote on theirs. And, and that's going to happen when? The, the initiative would be on the 2024 ballot. Uh, okay. The initiative to repeal, a referendum actually to repeal would be 2024. Yeah. But it's going to be very costly. It, it's going to be a high stakes battle. We're going to need help from national organizations to help us get the word out and and to because I, I believe that a lot of um, money from progressive organizations will flood the state to try to keep it in place. I just wanted to make a, a couple other points um, that are important p- for people to weigh in, and that is it makes it very difficult for hand counting. And in a time where people are lacking trust and confidence in the election process, you do need to be able to hand count to, to verify. That makes it very difficult. It also delays the time for when you have the results. And so every time you delay that time, that opens um, opens the door to more fraud. So those are concerning matters too. Overall, let's get back to one person, one vote, and let's uh, understand Maine actually also um, a lawsuit uh, uh, did not allow it for state elections, only federal, because their constitution does not have runoff elections. Whoever gets the most election wins, plurality. We have that in our in our constitution also. However, the judge failed to look at that and also failed to look at the precedent set in Maine. So states should be aware of what the Constitution has as far as plurality versus majority. Yeah, all good additional reasons to be against it. That first one you mentioned, um, definitely with you on that for sure. I've been through a recount myself. Having those those paper ballots that you can go in and hand count when you need to uh, is absolutely critical. Without that verification, uh, there's no there's no trust in the in the process. Uh, out of time, Senator. God bless you. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. Stay with us, folks. We'll be right back with David and Tim Barton. Have you noticed the vacuum of leadership in America? We're looking around for leaders of principle to step up, and too often, no one is there. God is raising up a generation of young leaders with a passion for impacting the world around them. They're crying out for the mentorship and leadership training they need. Patriot Academy was created to meet that need. Patriot Academy graduates now serve in state capitals around America, in the halls of Congress, in business, in the film industry, in the pulpit, in every area of the culture. They're leading effectively and impacting the world around them. Patriot Academy is now expanding across the nation, and now's your chance to experience this life-changing week that trains champions to change the world. Visit PatriotAcademy.com for dates and locations. Our core program is still for young leaders, 16 to 25 years old, but we also now have a citizen track for adults. So visit the website today to learn more. Help us fill the void of leadership in America. Join us in training champions to change the world at PatriotAcademy.com. We're back on Wobblers. Thanks for staying with us. And special thanks to Alaska Senator Shelley Hughes for joining us as well. Guys, what a warning to really everybody across all the states. Don't adopt this. And if you've got it, start looking for ways like Shelley is in, in Alaska to reverse this. Man, she had a great quote. She said, low information voters are not stupid. They're just busy. And that's really true. And so now you're getting into a system where you have to study all four or five candidates at every position on the ballot. 
you got to rank four or five candidates for governor and for U.S. senator, for, for, for U.S. Congress and for state rep and state senator. Now you've got to get into all these multiple candidates instead of having a primary where you got some time and can look at it and, and choose the one that best likes you. You've got like open primaries, and this is, as she pointed out, this was a red-leaning state. It was a fairly somewhat conservative state, and now she's gone from being the majority leader in the Senate to being the minority leader in the Senate in what's considered a red state. And that's, you know, as she pointed out, it is, this is this is a harder thing. This disenfranchises a lot of people, and it makes much harder to know much about the candidates because now you're having to study perhaps dozens of candidates when you, if you're going to know all those on the ballot and rank them. It's just not a good system. Well, guys, remember, too, what Shelley pointed out was she thought the reason it won by 1% or one vote, whatever that, that, how that figure was, the, the reason it won is people – by and large, we're thinking they were voting against dark money. At least that was her take. The feedback she's heard is that they were voting against people from outside the state being able to fund the candidates inside the state. And, and the people inside the state didn't even know who's funding these candidates and where's this money coming from. And they're against dark money. Well, well, this is also, by the way, one of the problems that we've talked about many times with some of the congressional budgets and some of these congressional continuing resolutions. It's the spending that happens in Congress is they put so many things in there and then if you vote in favor or against it, they say, wait a second, you voted in favor of this. And you're like, no, I was voting for something else. That was just that was this was part of it. Or they say, how dare you vote against this? I'm not voting against that. I was voting against something else in there. When when you put so much in there, it it overcomplicates something and it does confuse voters at times to make them think they're voting against something they're not actually voting against or voting in favor of something they're not actually voting in favor of. But certainly this should be very telling. Anybody that's living in Nevada, anywhere else that's considering this, this is a bad idea. This is not the way it should be done. This is not the most practical, efficient way to do things. It's certainly not the most clear, and it will not end up with the results you want unless you are a secular liberal. Then it does probably help your cause in some of these more red, conservative, leaning right areas and states. But this is something that we definitely need to pay attention to and should not be behind or support on any level as constitutional conservatives. We are out of time for today, folks. Thanks so much for listening to Wall Builders Live today. Be sure again to hit that website, wallbuilderslive.com. That's a place where you can get a lot of great resources and also get into the archives of the program, listen to some interviews in the previous weeks. Maybe you can catch a couple of those Good News Fridays you might have missed or Foundations of Freedom Thursdays. Lots of great information there. You can do that through your podcast app or listening to one of the hundreds of stations we're on across the nation. And then, of course, we want to encourage you when you're at the website, wallbuilderslive.com, click on that Contribute button. Make that one-time or monthly contribution. Come alongside us. Be a part of this solution. Help us restore America's constitutional republic. Help us pass it intact to the next generation. Thanks for being a part of Wall Builders Live, and thanks for listening today to Wall Builders Live. Stand undivided forever you